Hi, this is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of July 17th, 2023. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on both Facebook Live and YouTube Live, as well as via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, also on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, we explore why we think the Permanent Fund Corporation is being chicken little about the level of the earnings reserve account. Second, we discuss the elephant in the fiscal room that others ignore. Who should pay for K-12 and other spending? And third, we discuss some new information on the potential politicization of the Department of Revenue Tax Group and why that matters very much to Alaskans. And now, let's join Michael. Let's get on to the weekly top three here. Uh, you basically say the Permanent Fund Corporation. Are they doing a chicken little about the permanent fund earnings? And of course, you're referencing this article that we talked about earlier or late last week, which was that basically they're saying that the permanent fund earnings reserve will be empty uh, within just a couple of years, which ironically is the same thing that we've been saying here on the program. Only, of course, the implication from the ADN and others is it's that pesky PFD that's draining the earnings reserve, not the out of control spending from the legislature, but it's all the PFD's fault. So, I mean, are they crying chicken a little? Let's uh, let's discuss. Well, there's a little I think there's a little bit of chicken little going on here and maybe maybe a lot of chicken little. There's two. Uh, th this came up about a month ago at the last uh, Permanent Fund Corporation uh, meeting. Andrew Kitchenman wrote a commentary in the Alaska Beacon that raised the issue. Then it sort of died down and now it's popped back up. Uh, James Brooks wrote an article in the Alaska Beacon, which has been carried in almost all the other papers in the state. It says the headline is new estimate shows Alaska's permanent fund could be out of spendable money in three to four years. And um, the uh, K2 Alaska news source uh, did a little bit different spin on it, said permanent fund earnings could run dry by uh, 2026. But generally the theme is that uh, uh, under certain circumstances with uh, low earnings and continued uh, draws at 5% from the uh, permanent fund uh, under the, uh, uh, the percent of market value program, 5% draws from the permanent fund. With continued low earnings, uh, the permanent fund could uh, run the earnings reserve account, which is where the spendable money is, uh, could run out. The and and the consequences would be, you know, horrific. Of course, that if you're if you're chicken little, you want to make the consequences as horrific as they can be. No permanent fund dividends, reduced spend, reduced revenues available for state spending, uh, uh, that sort of thing. 
here's the problem with all that analysis. The permanent fund in, in 2020, 2020, FY2020 and FY22, the legislature in each year, in each of those two years, FY20 and FY22, deposited $4 billion out of the earnings reserve into the permanent fund corpus. Didn't need to do so. There was no statutory requirement to do so. Um, they just took $4 billion in each of those years. So $8 billion total. Each of those years took $8 billion out of the earnings reserve and put it into the permanent fund corpus, draining the earnings reserve of that, of that $8 billion. Even under the scenarios that the permanent fund corporation is running around with now, if that $8 billion was still in the permanent fund, in, in the earnings reserve, we'd be fine. We'd be fine for a heck of a long time. The, the purpose of, of those deposits, the, the FY20 deposit explicitly said at the time it was deposited, and the permanent fund carried a footnote that said this for a year or so, um, the, the purpose of it was to prepay uh, uh, inflation proofing. The permanent fund earnings uh, reserve, it funds the dividend, funds the, uh, the POMV draw, which the dividend is part of the POMV draw, funds the POMV draw, including the dividend. And a portion of the earnings is, is used to, to reinvest in the permanent fund corpus as permanent fund earnings reserve. So the $4 billion that went out in FY20 was described as a prepayment of of, of, of inflation proofing. Now, wait, I thought that POMV was supposed to eliminate inflation proofing. Wasn't that part of the deal or? No, it makes it auto. It, it, it almost makes it automatic, but they still have to deposit uh, the portion that is due for inflation proofing back into, back into the corpus. What it does is limit the draw to the real rate of return uh, and leave the portion of the draw, uh, leave the portion that is in the earnings reserve for inflation proofing in the earnings reserve, and then it needs to be deposited back into the permanent fund corporation or into, into the corpus. Um, but so $4 billion in, in FY20 was described as inflation proofing. And then the additional $4 billion that was in FY22 wasn't described as inflation proofing, but there was no statutory requirement to make that deposit. And so it is, you can, you should also, or you can also view it as a prepayment of inflation proofing. If we use those as prepayments for inflation proofing, we don't have a problem until FY28, FY29. If you don't, if you don't draw a portion of the earnings reserve out, the cash in the earnings reserve over to the permanent fund corpus for inflation proofing, uh, the, the money, that money stays in uh, the permanent fund earnings reserve and is available for distribution in accordance with the earnings reserve. And that's what they set up. Uh, the the prepayment in FY20 and uh, and then the four billion dollars in FY22 uh, to do what they're doing now. I mean, what the permanent fund corporation is doing, and I think Bert is part of this. Uh, what the permanent fund corporation is just acting as if those didn't happen, and that eight billion extra that got deposited into the into the corpus is theirs now. It's not to be treated as a prefunding of anything. It's just part of the corpus now. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, you still owe us for inflation proofing in all the subsequent years because we're not treating it as prepayment uh, of inflation proofing. And if you do that, if you take out $8 billion and you don't treat it as prepayment of inflation proofing and you continue to have to pay inflation proofing in the subsequent years, 
then yeah, you got you got a problem. But that's not that's not the way this was set up. The eight billion dollars is there to to act as as a, as prepayment of inflation proofing. What I think's going on is is this is part of that drive, that old drive you remember back in the Walker administration, and it pops up occasionally. If we get to $100 billion in the permanent fund, we never have to worry again. The POMV draw will fund government. We don't have taxes. We don't have a PFD. But we, but we the top 20%, never have to worry again. And I think this, I think what they've now decided to do or what they're, what they're now treating this $8 billion as is a deposit toward the $100 billion as opposed to treating it for what it was at the time that that the legislature voted on it, at least in FY20, at the time, uh, the, the purpose of it being to, to prepay inflation proof. So there's a, there's a, and, and you find none of this in the articles, right? You right. find none of this discussion in the articles, either in the, the, in, in, in the beacon or in uh, uh, Matt Buxton's uh, blog, uh, Alaska memo, or in the uh, K2, uh, uh, the channel two uh, uh, news site. You don't, you find any of that. It's just like it suddenly dis- it's like eight billion dollars went into the mist and suddenly disappeared. And well, know, we're not we're not we're gonna we're not gonna worry about that again. I gotta be honest with you, this feels very much like, and there's been a lot of discussion amongst people that I talk with about how this was basically kind of an orchestrated crisis that Bert knew what he was doing when he transferred the eight billion dollars over there. Sure, marking it as whatever. But now it's out of reach of the earnings reserve. And so there is no, you know, it's like artificially creating the crisis to say now there's pressure on the PFD. It's all part of eliminating the dividend in the long run. It's an attack on the dividend. Look at every article. Every article talks about that the out of control dividend spending is what's creating this pressure on the perm on the earnings reserve, not the out of control spending of the legislature itself. Well, and it's really neither. I mean, I, it, you, we can argue about whether it's the out-of-control spending. Some will say it's the out-of-control dividend, but it's really neither. It's it's treating this $8 billion, which certainly could get us through the rest of the decade, even under the low-ball scenarios that the Permanent Fund Corporation is talking about now. It's, treat, it's suddenly disappearing this $8 billion out of the out of a, out of of treatment as prepayment of permanent fund earnings or uh, of, of inflation-proofing. Here's here's the the deal. This issue do, isn't coming to a head now. It isn't coming. It hasn't come to a head in the past. It's up to each legislature when they appropriate uh, whether or not they appropriate uh, money out of the permanent fund earnings reserve into the permanent fund corpus. So going forward, the real test is going to be: Will future legislatures treat? that $8 billion as, as the prepayment of inflation proofing and, and thus not have to double dip and contribute an additional amount of inflation proofing uh, out of earnings going forward, as I say, for literally the rest of the decade, or will future legislature, legislatures ignore that prepayment, treat it as a contribution, a unilateral contribution to the corpus and, and still contribute additional money out uh, of inf- for inflation proofing going forward. That's it's up to future legislatures re- whether whether this is really a crisis. If they ignore, if they ignore the prepayment, if they don't treat that money as a prepayment, then yeah, we're going to walk right into a crisis. But if they treat it consistent, if they treat that eight billion dollars consistent with what uh, with what the original purpose was, at least in FY20, if they treat it consistent with that, 
then we don't have a crisis. It's it's we're going to be we're well, going to be we're going to be fine through the rest rest of the decade. And the subtext of this whole thing, and it's been mentioned in almost every article that I've read about this, is that this goes back to them then suggesting that the real solution to this, of course, is combining the ERA and the corpus of the fund, thereby making it all kumbaya and everything else, which to me is very dangerous because then it literally, since they're all conjoined, the POMV law would then be then it could be eating into the fund in the future. It could be eating into the corpus of the fund through that POMV draw. And that is the danger point. I think maybe that was the ultimate intent uh, to try and push that ideal so that they can get bigger access to the fund itself. I mean, I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, it, it would be, I mean, what they've talked about is, is a constitutional amendment as the solution to this that the, the Permanent Fund Corporation Board has proposed is a constitutional amendment that would constitutionalize POMV, would combine the two funds and constitutionalize POMV. Now, here's the key to that. If they if they allowed the draw rate, the POMV rate to be set by statute, so that, for example, it wouldn't have to be 5%, the legislature could say 10%, 20%, 3%. If they allow that to be set by statute, then there's going to be a problem. If they set that in stone at 5%, there also, there's also a problem if they set it in stone at five percent, the, the the real the real problem that we've got is we're out of savings. I mean, we've used up in the twenty teens, we used up the statutory budget reserve. We've we've almost we're almost entirely through the the constitutional budget reserve. We have no savings. We have no flexibility, and and the earnings reserve account is sort of the last savings that we've got. It's not really supposed to be savings, but it's sort of the last flexible cash account uh, that we've got. And if we lock it away. By combining the two um, uh, uh, funds, the, the the corpus and the ERA, combine the two funds, and say you can only touch it in this manner through the POMV draw. If we lock it away, if we ever hit a true crisis in this state, we're not going to have a spare cash account to go to. We we we've, we've drained them all. Uh, this this generation has drained them all. We've left future generations with nothing to go to. So the the real problem with combine to me the real problem with combining the two is is the lack of flexibility that creates in our fiscal structure uh, going forward. If we had a if we had an earthquake uh, that you know did damage in in significant parts of the state, if we had a rupture to the pipeline that took out the revenue revenue flow from the pipeline, uh, like we did uh, uh, back in the early two thousands when when there were problems on Prudhoe and and they shut down the Prudhoe field, if we had if we had any sort of disruption like those, and we've closed off the earnings reserve account, we've closed off that cash account to use as an emergency fund, we're cooked. I mean, we've got, we've got no place to go for additional cash. So um, it, that to me is the, is the real significant problem created by combining those two accounts and restricting the draw to, uh, uh, to, to a percentage focus, but uh, a percentage level, but we, but we don't need to be going there. I mean, it is, it's a man-made, it's a BERT-made uh, 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 permanent fund corporation board created problem by how they're treating that $8 billion. That $8 billion, if you treat it the, consistent with the way that, that the original FY20 deposit was made, and we've only used a little, even with high inflation, we've only used a little over $2 billion uh, of, that, of, that, of the original $4 billion uh, deposit. Uh, the, the, if, if we treat that as now locked away and, and not to be treated for not to be treated as a prepayment, uh, 
then then we're running ourselves into a problem. But it's up to it's up to future legislatures to decide how that how that eight billion dollars is treated. Brad, at some point, you got to realize, I mean, it, to me, I look at it and go, "Ooh, they're trying to do uh there it it's all it's all on purpose i mean like it's like you know at some point you got to go this is machiavellian i mean this is like uh this is like it's all on purpose and you got to know what's going on uh that this is what they're trying to do i mean what what say you well yeah it is on purpose i mean i mean the four billion dollar uh the contribution in in fy20 the con the four billion dollar contribution fy22 those were certainly on purpose uh, the the one when the legislature passed the one in FY twenty it was explicitly for uh, pre funding that was that was you know the intent of it and now it's just disappeared now it's not treated that way anymore and that's certainly on purpose somebody's somebody's decided that uh, that uh, they'll take out the footnote and they'll just you know suddenly that eight billion dollars is is all all the permanent fund corporations as opposed to being a, as opposed to being a prepayment on on future obligations. I mean, these footnotes are interesting. You, you remember that it, that in 2017, we had a footnote in all of the fiscal summaries uh, up until 2017 that described the permanent fund dividend as a, as dedicated funds, right? As desi designated funds, designated funds for the permanent fund dividend, and thus not combined with with unrestricted general funds. In 27, and there was always a footnote in the fiscal summaries that that described it that way. In 2017, ledge finance. Took out that footnote, and all of a sudden we diverted the the revenues that were used for the permanent fund dividend that have been treated as designated all these years. Took those revenues and put them over into UGF and said nothing can be spent on anything. And it was and it was the footnote, the ch the change in the footnote that 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 really rationalized what the legislature was doing. Then they said, oh, it's just UGF. I mean, yeah, it's right. always been it's always been UGF. Now we've got a change in the footnote. In the in the history and projections uh, that uh, that the permanent fund corporation puts out for a year and a half, it, it said the FY twenty FY twenty funds were for um, uh, for prepayments for inflation proofing. Now you know the footnote disappears. Now all of a sudden, that's our money. It's in the permanent fund corpus. It's always been permanent fund corpus, and and yeah, you, you still owe us all the inflation proofing in in the future years, right? Um, and and by the way, that's going to create a create a problem in all sorts, and and we need to do all sorts of things to 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 deal with that. I it's yeah, these footnotes are are key, uh, and we just got people you know just unilaterally changing them, uh, and and re redesignating uh, funds the the purpose of funds and the use of funds and the availability of funds uh, by just uh, deleting these footnotes. So. It, it is on purpose. It is. On it, purpose. it is on purpose. It's a, you know, they're all doing it on purpose and they're all in it together. Uh, it's kind of, I'm getting to, I used to have a, one of my listeners who was a little bit more hardcore gave me a button that said that one time. And I thought, well, that's a little paranoid, but now I'm getting more and more to the belief that they're, they're all in it together and they're all doing it on purpose kind of thing. You know, that there is a method to this madness. And, and, and it's not, the administration could point this out. It's not, it's not just, I guess it's not just Burt's, not just the permanent fund corporation. The administration could say, no, those funds are there for, as a prepayment for inflation proofing, we will continue to submit our budget in future years, treat them as a prepayment for inflation proofing, not ask for an appropriation for inflation right. proofing from the earnings reserve. Well, the governor and, could have vetoed it, right? I mean, he could have vetoed the transfer. Well, remember right. he, remember he did. 
and he and he and he crossed and they crossed out the wrong thing. Maybe that was on purpose too. If you want to get a you got want to get into a real conspiracy theory, then maybe maybe the mistake the governor made. But remember, he he did strike through the the four billion dollars in FY twenty two, uh, or try to strike through the four billion dollars in FY twenty two transfer and keep that in the earnings reserve. But they didn't they didn't strike through the right thing or they struck it wrong and. And um, uh, and and so you know, then the issue was, well, is that four billion dollars going to be made? Uh, and the governor uh, uh, gave up and said, "Yeah, sure, go, let that four billion dollars go," as a as a prepayment. But now, now suddenly, it's not a prepayment payment anymore. So it's the 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 changing treatment of funds, the changing treatment of funds, the changing treatment of of the permanent fund earnings that were designated for the permanent fund dividend, the changing treatment of these funds that went into the permanent fund corpus uh, that were originally designated for prepayment for inflation proofing, the changing purpose of those funds, once they, once they get in somebody's pocket, the changing purpose of the funds is, 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 is key to creating a lot of the problems that, that we've got in this state. And that's, that's not being done by, that's not being done obviously by by legislation legislative action. They didn't they didn't pass legislation that says we're going to redesignate permanent fund earn, permanent fund earnings going for the dividend to to UGF. It's uh, it's interesting to watch this whole thing. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets, uh, the weekly top three. Let's uh, get a tease for number two, Brad. Uh, number two is who pays for K through 12. We, we now have uh, an editorial from this weekend from the ADN, the, uh, the Binkley family blog that talks about uh, how the governor's failed, failing the state on, on his veto of, uh, of the additional K through 12 spending that was, that was passed by the legislature. We, in fact, have the governor talking about the need for additional K through 12 spending uh, in an interview he did with, uh, with another TV station. Um, everybody's talking about we need to spend more for K through 12. Nobody's talking about who pays for for that. Well, the ADN article does uh, talks about who pays for that. That's the that's an issue that we need to be focused on. We're in the weekly top three. We're on a number two, which is talking about K twelve uh, spending and the funding and who actually pays. Um, come on down, Brad. What who, who is actually paying for the K through twelve? Let's talk about it. Well, it, there was a there was an ADN uh, op-ed uh, week over the weekend uh, that says the curious that's headlined the curious case of Dunleavy's education vetoes, and it goes through the governor's vetoing of half the increase for K through twelve spending passed by the legislature, and argue, and says the governor hasn't explained why he did it, and there's no good reason why he why he would have done these vetoes and hasn't explained that it was necessary for, you know, to, for, for any particular purpose. And, and, and the purpose of the editorial is to argue that, that uh, the full amount of the veto or the full amount of the, of the appropriation should have gone through the governor shouldn't veto it. And, uh, and, and at least should explain why he did, but there's a, but there's a sentence in there that, that stands out to me like a sore, th sore thumb. Um, it says the only hint of an explanation offered by a spokesperson was that Dunleavy recognizes that schools need to address inflationary pressures while still preserving general fund dollars. A rationale that holds very little water given the governor's signing of some of the largest budgets Alaska has seen bloated by unsustainable permanent fund dividend draws that have left the state's major accessible savings account in danger of being drained 
in just a few years. Well, that's yeah. false. That's <laughs> false. <laughs> I mean, what? It's the permanent fund's fault. That evil permanent fund, you leeches on society. Clearly, clearly indicating, clearly following the, the ADN's theme that that permanent fund dividends need to be cut to pay for spending. Uh, middle and lower income Alaska families need to pay for uh, for spending and uh, for K through, for K through twelve and for all other spending for that matter. Um, and the top twenty percent need to be you know need to continue to be the top twenty percent, which includes the Binkley family that owns the ADN. The top twenty percent needs to be you know continue to get off the hook by not having to contribute to the costs. Uh, of government, we, it's all the all the permanent fund dividends doing, and we need to just cut the permanent fund, take the pocket, take the money out of the pockets of middle and lower income Alaska families to pay for this stuff. That's bad. I mean, that it's consistent with what the ADN's done in the past, but it's bad. They're saying this editorial and any number of editorials going back to when the Binkley family acquired the ADN says, well, and even before, says that. Uh, uh, Middle and lower income Alaska families need to be state government needs to be funded on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. Top 20 percent shouldn't have to have to contribute. That's the theme of all these editorials. The, the interesting add on to this is a, is an interview that the governor did uh, with uh, your Alaska which I, used to be channel five, but maybe some other channel now. Right. And, and it was an it says exclusive interview. Your Alaska link talks with Governor Dunleavy on public school funding uh, and more. And the governor sort of responds to the criticism of of his veto by saying, "Look, I am supporting increased uh, state spending, um, uh, and it's but it's uh, but I want to do it in on my terms, and and it's encapsulated in HB 106. HB 106, which is the governor's bill to pay pay bonuses." based upon how long people, how long teachers stay in the state, pay bonuses to teachers for continuing to stay in Alaska. It's his way of addressing what's, what some say is the teacher crisis, the, the fact that we're having teachers leaving the state. It's his way of addressing that. The, the, the legislature wants to address it through, you know, more, an increase in the BSA, and giving that money to the school districts and hoping the school districts use it in a way that retains teachers. The governor wants to pinpoint a solution and say we want we need to appropriate money uh, to to give it to the teachers directly as bonuses for staying and and that will that that's his way of addressing the teacher crisis. But here's the deal: even in the governor's interview and even in HB 106, his bill, he doesn't address who pays um, uh, for uh, for that additional spending uh, that he's that he's proposing, and it certainly isn't covered. By from traditional revenues, it certainly isn't covered from oil revenues and from uh, the 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 fifty percent of the POMB earnings uh, that the governor takes the position ought to be going to the PFD or or whatever share of earnings ought to be going to the PFD. It's not it's it's not covered. That additional spending is not covered by it. So where is it going to come from if there isn't any additional revenue source for it? Any any incremental revenue source for it? It's going to come from increased PFD cuts. It's going to come on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. So, but but he doesn't talk about that. The interviewers don't talk about that. The ADN doesn't talk about that. As we as we talked about in last week's in last week's you know top three, who pays is as important an issue, fiscal issue, as what as what you're spending the money on. Who pays for it? Uh, it affects the 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 economic impact. 
uh, of of the uh, of of the of the revenues. It affects the fairness of the revenues. It affects the impact on on poverty levels. It affects the impact on on middle income Alaska families, whether they have more or less revenue to uh, to sustain uh, to maintain their lifestyle in the state. It has an impact across the board. Who pays these additional costs uh, is every bit the equal of, of what you're spending the additional money on. Yet the ADN ignores the impact of what they're arguing. They ignore the fact that, that their argument shifts the cost to middle and lower income Alaska family has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy of any of the revenue options. And the governor's just ignoring it entirely. Not, not talking about, not talking about who pays. He certainly, he certainly ha hasn't revived the discussion even of a sales tax that he had uh, in the latter days of the session uh, earlier. So it's it's an issue that needs to be addressed and it's not being addressed, not being asked about, not being discussed by the people who need to be discussing it. Because the people who are actually paying are lower and middle income Alaskans and the kids in the future. <laughs> That's who's paying for this is future generations of Alaskans. Yep. Well, the current generation of Alaskans and future generations yeah. of Alaskans. Looks like you lost, Bill. You're going to have to. Uh, you're going to have to pay up, Bill. Bill was. Bill was betting that you were going to mention middle and lower income Alaskan families seven times during the segment, and you missed it by one. Um, but I mean, look, you know, Brad, we've been harping on this thing for a while, and there's been some accusations of saying, "Well, Brad's just engaging in class warfare." Uh, if that's what it is, you're trying to the, the haves and the have. But the bottom line, I guess, is if it was untrue, I guess you could say that it was class warfare. But the problem is, is that it it's true. I mean, that's that's exactly what ITEP said. That's what the ICER reports have said. That's what the that this is where the impact lies. Uh, does it because you pointed out, does it make it any less true? Does it make it any more like, uh, you know, the, the, the class warfare thing? What do you say? Michael, there is class warfare in this state. There is. But it's by the top 20% against middle and lower income Alaska families. I mean, look at the ADN. The ADN run by the Binkley family, very comfortably living Binkley family. The ADN repeatedly says we ought to pay for this stuff through PFD cuts. And, and you know, if the PFD disappears, so what? We ought, we ought, to, we ought to continue to fund government. We ought to continue to grow government, K through 12 university, uh, defined benefits for, uh, for state employees. We ought to continue to grow government, but we, but we ought to do it on, uh, through PFD cuts. Well, what's, what's the one thing that's unique about PFD cuts? Matt Berman of ICER told us in, a, in an ADN op-ed, uh, independent op-ed uh, a few months ago, he said it is the most regressive tax ever. And, and, and what it does, unlike a, more than sales taxes, more than any regressive tax you can come up with, it shifts the burdens to the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. So when somebody talks about PFD cuts, when somebody says we ought to fund this stuff with PFD cuts, they know what they're doing. They know where the impact is. And, and when the ADN talks about using the PFD or PFD reductions as a way to funding government that the PFDs are bloated. They're too much. You know, you, you, we need that money for government. They know what they're doing. They know who they're taking it from. There is class warfare in this state, and it's being, but it's being practiced by the top twenty percent against middle and lower income Alaska families. 
and middle and lower, if middle and lower Alaska families just say, well, that's okay. Yeah. PFD, take our PFD. Who cares? Well, okay. Even, even if you think that's fair to take your PFD, that approach, that revenue measure has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy. Are you saying it's okay when you, right. when you, when you, when you say it's okay, take my PFD. Are you saying it's okay that we use the measure that has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy? I, yeah, it may be okay for you, but it's not okay if you're concerned about the Alaska economy and you're concerned about the condition of middle and lower income Alaska families. And those who are advocating using PFD cuts as a way of funding government are engaged in class warfare against middle and lower income Alaska families. Thank you, Bill, for the hundred stars. I appreciate that, Bill. He's like, I was under by one and now you've said it four more times. And so, <laughs> but I mean, the point is this, the point is it is the most regressive tax. It does have an impact whether you, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with a discussion that's based on, you know, the classes or the or income levels. The bottom line is, like you said, even if those people throw their hands up and say, well, take the PFD and don't tax me. The bottom line is it's still the most regressive form of tax and it still has the largest adverse impact on the economy as a, as a whole. And that's what that's what every news outlet and everything else seems to be missing is that part of it is that the impact on the private economy is huge when you take a billion dollars out of the private economy and it doesn't get spent uh, or saved or invested that is a huge problem well it's a it's a billion and a half uh is is the impact of the pfd cut in fy24 and and it and it is spent but it's spent as as manipulated as decided by 21 plus 11 plus 1 it's decided by, what is that, 32, 33 people. The majority of the House, the majority of the Senate, plus the governor signing signing the appropriations bill. Instead of, instead of the impact being decided by 635,000 Alaskans in their homes with their kids, making the decision on, on how, to spend, how to spend that money uh, that, they receive, that they receive as their share of the wealth of the state's uh, mineral wealth, instead of being decided by 635,000 Alaskans, as in a capitalist society, in a capitalist system, we want the decisions to be made by individuals. Instead of that, that money, that billion and a half, was is is directed according to the whims and fancies of twenty one plus eleven plus one. Thirty three people are deciding are deciding how to spend that billion and a half, as opposed to six hundred fifty six hundred thirty five thousand right. Alaska families. So it's it it's Alaskans. It is. I mean, we're. we're People say the PFD is socialist. No, the PFD is capitalist. It put, puts money in the hands of individuals to decide how to what to spend it on, what goods and, and yeah. services are important to them. Well, Hammond said it was one of the most capitalistic things because it, it offset your loss of, of the, your royalty or your mineral rights, and it put the money in the economy. That's what he was talking about on that as well. Less than a minute. Well, and when somebody says, I don't want the money, it's it's fine. I don't need the money. Well, you're you're the money's going to be spent. It's just going to be spent by 33 people, as opposed to you deciding how you spend your share of the money. It's going to be spent by government by 33 people deciding where it goes. 33 people influenced by lobbyists deciding yep. where it goes. And if you're a family of four, they just spent thirteen thousand dollars on your behalf. Have a nice day. That was you know, instead of you deciding where that money goes. 
Uh, number three, uh, the DOR, the DOR commissioner vanishing overnight, quietly in the night. Uh, no real answer, no real discussion. You're thinking that there may be more evidence of politicization. We got about two and a half minutes here. Yeah, it's tax director. Uh, 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 the tax director was the one that disappeared in the middle of the night. Uh, Tim Bradner has an article uh, this past week in the Frontiersman, uh, former state director, tax director asked to leave, reasons unclear. And it just provides a little more context to the issue we discussed in last week's program, which is is, is Adam Crum politicizing the Department of Revenue. Is he, is he getting rid of people who question uh, oil industry uh, uh, tax issues legitimately question oil industry tax issues, getting rid of them in order to put in people who favor uh, favor the industry and in furtherance of, of Crum's career. And this, this article adds a little more context to it. What I'm really surprised, this issue, this issue is every bit as, as important to the state revenue as Angela Rodell, as the Angela Rodell issue was. The, the Angela Rodell issue was, is the, is the governor, is the administration politicizing the permanent fund by by using its uh, appointees on the permanent fund board to get rid of Angela Rodell, big issue. Had an investigation. It still it still resonates out there as a, as an issue that's that's really unresolved. This issue uh, of getting rid of Colleen Glover uh, and and Brian Fector before her. Brian Fector was the deputy uh, revenue commissioner. Colleen is the was the state tax commissioner, uh, state tax director. This issue is every bit as important to Alaska Revenue as Angela Rodell was, but it's not getting the attention that the Angela Rodell issue got, um, and 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 that's bothersome because we're if if we if we're if we're getting a politicized Department of Revenue, if Adam Crum is politicizing the Department of Revenue in furtherance of his political career, we've got a very serious problem there, and and we need to keep focused on it uh, and and not let it just fade off into the mist. Well, I know that you're going to be watching it and going to be paying attention to it. Unfortunately, we're not mainstream media, so probably won't a lot of people won't hear about it. Nor were they hear about uh, the K-12 funding issue or many of the other things that we talk about. It's unfortunate, but the mainstream media apparently not doing their job continuously. Um, uh, you know, that that's part of the problem, I think, is they're just not doing their job. Like you said, you don't hear about the fight, the 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 details of it. You hear what the press release said and they regurgitate it and that's about it. It's a frustrating situation. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top 3.